And Heavenly Father, we, we gather this morning to celebrate you. You're so incredible. And so we just want to come and say thank you that you so love this world that you gave your only begotten son. We have no, I have no idea what it cost you um, to love and, and to redeem and to rescue me. And all I can bring is, is a heart of gratitude saying thank you. Thank you for demonstrating your love towards us in that while I, while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us. What amazing love. And my prayer this morning is as we gather and open up your word, I pray that you, through your word and through the power of your spirit, would open our eyes and our hearts and our ears and our minds to understand what is the breadth and depth and height and length and width of your love towards us in Jesus Christ because I know that people who've been loved well, love well. And I long for us to be a people who love well. And so would you open our hearts and minds to understand a little bit of the gospel of your eternal, infinite, never stopping love for us in Jesus Christ. And so as I humble and empty myself, I ask that you'd fill me with your spirit to love, serve, strengthen, and care for your people, for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome guests, visitors, first-timers, newcomers. If this is your first time, we are so, so, so glad that you're here. This is Hillside Fellowship. Um, we believe that Jesus changes everything, that he has changed, is changing, and one day will change everything. He's going to make everything new, make a brand new proclamation uh, that all things are new. And so we look forward to that day, and until then... We just proclaim the gospel, the good news. I've sought to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified, buried, and resurrected. And I know to some that's foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it's the power and wisdom of God. And so, so glad you're here. I don't care what you struggle with, what your background, your story, uh, your sin struggle. Uh, my name's Dave. Jesus has delivered me, is delivering me, and one day will fully deliver me from any and all addiction and pain and struggle and suffering. So if you're here, my message to you is going to be surrender to Jesus. He will write a better story with your life. And you can surrender to him today and just say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I'm an epic hot mess, and I need your grace. He's so good. That was like my first prayer. God, I'm super strung out, and I need help. And he was like, that's good enough. I'll take that. He's that good. So we are seeing how God, uh, man, we're, we're looking at the book of Genesis. God's writing a story. It's an incredible story, an epic story, a beautiful story. He's writing and directing the story, and he's inviting you to get out of the director's seat and allow him to write and direct your story. He's inviting you to be part of his story. We're seeing this in Genesis. Uh, we're seeing Jesus in Genesis. It's a beautiful book. Today, we get a disturbing and delightful story, Abraham and, and Isaac. Totally disturbing. I get that. We'll walk through that. It's meant to be incredibly delightful where you see God's profound, infinite, never stopping, never giving up love for you in Jesus Christ, what it cost God to redeem you. And so we'll look at the disturbing part. We'll look at the delightful part. Let me read it to you. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 22. I'll read verses 1 through 14. We'll allow our hearts to be troubled together. It is a, every time I read this, my heart is just troubled within me. So we'll, we'll enjoy that together. 
Genesis 22, verse 1, God says, Moses writes, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Well, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together, and then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so as we walk through this, this is an incredibly amazing, deep, profound passage. It is the first time in the Bible the word love shows up. Uh, it's, it, and I, I need about probably 14 to 15 hours to adequate, adequately walk through it, and we've got 24 minutes. But here's, I want to give you some big, a big theological picture so we can walk through it together, and then I'm going to give you a, a, a visual picture to tr- uh, just to to calm some of your hearts. So big theological picture, if you read straight through the Bible, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the big theme you would walk away with, the big character, is this one dead? If it starts messing up. Okay, it's just a backup. Thanks, Gary. Love that, and I got two. I feel like a Jedi Knight. (laughs) (laughs) Got my red pen. So... If you read straight through the Bible, the character attribute, the big one that you would walk away with is this, God is love. First John chapter four, God is love. That, and that's specific, that uh, agape love. He sacrifices, this is what love is. First uh, Corinthians 13, he sacrifices himself for others' well-being with no expectation of return. That's love. God sacrifices self for others' well-being, not expecting anything in return. Now, the small theological picture as you look at the Bible is sin inverts and distorts love. 
in curvitus say in Latin, it bends it in on yourself. Second Timothy chapter three, realize this in the last days, difficult times will come for men will be lovers of, yeah, some of you have read that. People are gonna love them some them. And that's gonna make life difficult, you know why? Because self-love sacrifices others for my benefit. And that makes marriage painful, difficult, it makes life painful when everyone is sacrificing others and harming others for their own benefit. That's called self-love. The good news of the Bible is that in the gospel, God comes and demonstrates his love towards us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for, for our sin. Jesus laid down his life. John 15 and 16, greater love has no man than this, than that he would lay down his life for the benefit of another. In the gospel, we see love on display, demonstrated for us that God is love. I don't know if you know this, but there is a huge love deficit going on in this world. We don't know how to love, and most of us, even here today, struggle to believe that God is deeply, profoundly in love with us. And it sounds wrong to say, doesn't it? Like, God loves me. Most of us would say, I, Dave, I believe God loves you. I just don't know that he loves me. And I get that. I struggle to apply God's love to my own life because when I look at me, I see my faults, flaws, and failures, and I think God's probably disgusted with me, not delighted in me. Today, I'm gonna to show you the truth. How do you know God loves you? How do you know God loves you? Because if you don't know you're loved, you won't be able to love well. See, we talk about it a lot in recovery circles. Hurt people hurt people. Ever heard it? The antithesis of that is true as well, and that's what I long to focus on. Loved people love people. Do you know you are loved with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever, infinite, eternal love? Today, I want to show you through a very disturbing and delightful story that God has showed you. He has showed you you are profoundly loved. Now, before we get in this story, I want to deal with the big hangup we're going to have. You grew up, many of you grew up, how many of you grew up in church? Look, at, look around. Okay, in your, ch in your child, children's Bibles, you saw this story, and Abraham looked like a very buff, 48-year-old white male carrying a little three-year-old baby. And as you read this story, you thought, this story is disturbing. I want to show you something. I just, for the mama bears in you that are like, oh, I can't believe God said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go offer him up. This had to destroy Abraham, had to destroy Isaac, and I'm mad at God. I've been mad at God since my fourth grade Sunday school class in Baptist school, and I've just been mad. I want to show you a true picture. Abraham, I've got, I've got a visual. Uh, Les and Jarek, come on up. At this point in, in Abraham's life, he's probably about 120 years old. I've got a friend here, one of my favorite people in the world. This is one of my favorite people in the world, Les Daniel. He's 95 years old. He drove to church this morning, came last night to be with, with the Saturday night service. Uh, Les is a specimen 
of, of beauty. He is one of the most tender, kind, loving, compassionate people I've ever met. The Lord has worked deeply in his life for 95 years. He's 95. Abraham was probably about 25 years old, older than Les. So I want you to get the picture. By this time in the story, this is Jarek. This is Jarek Wells, good friend of mine, loves Jesus, plays college ball, incredible. He's an intern here. Uh, at this time in the story of Genesis 22, Isaac is probably a little older than Jarek. And so I just want you to get the picture. The picture is not of a 48-year-old Abraham carrying a three-year-old baby, putting him on the altar, and the baby crying out. This is, the picture is of a father and son in loving, trusting relationship, trusting God, trusting each other, and walking this out together. You with me? Because I need the mamas to see this, or else you've already shut me out. You're like, I don't like the story. I don't like it. Thank you, guys. Love you. Les, love you, bud. All right. So we're together. Isaac could have gotten away. If it was a game of freeze tag, you would have been like, come on, Abraham, you're not, you're not. You with, he could have juked once and been out of there. So now watch, I want you to, I long for you to see this because in this passage, God longs to communicate to you as his child. You have no idea how much I love you but I want to communicate, and I even want you to feel a little bit, a fraction of the infinite pain I felt to redeem you, and I want you to feel that. So you're gonna feel the depth of low here, and I want you to feel it, because God is gonna say, yeah, multiply that depth of low, the, the trough of that, uh, that sine wave, in, infinitely multiply that, and that's the pain I felt in order to redeem you. What we're gonna see today is tests, tests because God loves us and the triumph of the lamb. So let me jump in, I got 17 minutes, we got a lot to cover. Pull up verse one, first under tests, we're gonna see that tests are promised, they're promised in scripture, um, and we're gonna see that tests are painful, and then we're gonna look at the triumph of the lamb. So let's jump in. Verse one, tests are promised and they're purposeful. Watch this. Now it came about after these things that God did what? You see it on there? It came about after these things that God, he tested Abraham. This is like a final exam. You think, wait a minute, Abraham's 120. He's 120 years old. Aren't tests done? Right, I retire at what? 60 and, and shouldn't it be like golf carts and fun and no more tests? No, tests are promised. In fact, the scriptures have said, don't be surprised at the test, the fiery ordeals. In fact, when the test comes because they're promised, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Now, none of us like tests. Actually, that's not exactly true. About 1.8 to 2% of Americans like tests, and, and, and I don't understand them. Well, I'll show you. How many of you really like final exams because it's your time to shine? There's about... See, Lydia, I knew it. There's, there's always about 1.2%, and they would always throw off the bell. Don't study. Nobody study. And about 98% of the class would be like, yeah, Dave, we're with you. And then there was 2%. They're like, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, I just have to get 108 on this. Like, I'm just gonna, this is my time to shine. I call them uh, bell curve busters. Still love them in Jesus, I just don't understand it. Most of us don't like tests, but here's the thing that you need to know. Even at 120, God's not done growing us. He loves to transform us, doesn't he? He loves to grow us, mature us, develop us, and transform us. My problem is God's longing to transform me, and he does it through tests, keeping me at the edge of my growth. He wants to transform me, but I just want to sit at home, eat Cheetos, Fritos, Doritos, Oreos, and watch Transformers and not be transformed. God loves you right where he's at. He loves me right where I'm at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Same with Abraham at 120. So tests are... They're they're promised, they will come, and they're purposeful. Now, not only that, pull up verse two. I'll show you verse two and three. Not only are they promised the tests and they're purposeful, please know whatever struggle, trial, difficulty, and test you're walking through right now, God's got a perfect plan for it. He wants to use it to transform you to look more like Jesus. But you need to know that tests are often painful and perplexing. Not just are they promised and purposeful, but they're painful and perplexing. Let me show you the pain and perplexity of this test. Verse two, every time I read through it, I get a little sick to my stomach. God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. This is the first time in the Bible, you've read 22 chapters, this is the first time this word agapeton, love, shows up and it's misdirected love. It's love from father to a son. That's not bad, but our love is to be to God. So it's misdirected, it shows up and God's gotta teach us. I want you guys to love me because then the gifts I give you, you you can fully enjoy. So he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I'll tell you, can you imagine being Abraham and hearing this? Take now your son, your only son. Well, it gets worse, verse three. I expect in the text to hear Abraham say, time out, God, can we talk about this? I would hope my dad would would play a mediating role for me. God, can we... Uh, Can we bargain? Is this American Pickers? Can we function in a way where we're going to talk about this? Verse three, watch Abraham. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. This is so problematic for me. The text is speeding through this. God says, sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. Abraham says, okay. And now, thousands of years later, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. What kind of God is this? You know, I've gotten emails even this week. Dave, I'm not coming because this is the reason I won't be a Christian. You understand, my friends of mine who are atheists say, this... What kind of God do you worship and preach, Dave? A God who says, sacrifice your child? That's messed up. This is why I will not be a Christian and I will not worship your God. Can I I walk you through this? 
so that maybe we can understand what was in Abraham's mind, what Abraham understood, what was in God's mind, what God was communicating, and why this took place. Can I, can I take five minutes to walk you through this in three steps? One, I'm gonna show you that God is a God who is holy, righteous, and just, and he demands payment for sin. On this side, God demands payment for sin. And I'm gonna show you that God is the God who promises salvation. He's a God of grace and mercy and love and kindness and, and loving kindness and forgiveness. But in order to be a holy, righteous, just God and a forgiving, kind, and merciful God, he's gonna have to provide a sacrifice So let's walk through this in three steps. One, God is a God of payment who demands payment for sin. When you're sinned against, do you demand payment? Yeah, some of you have been holding on to that for years. So don't don't judge God as though he's not doing something that you yourself don't do. He's a God who demands payment for sin. Well, Dave, what does that have to do with him saying, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom, whom you love and go offer him up? It has everything to do with it. You see, this is God's way of saying to their culture, to Abraham's culture, and I'll show you in the text. This is God's way of saying, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we don't read it that way because we're Americans and we're profoundly individualistic. That is, when I say all have sinned, we apply that in an individualistic way. Well, typically in an other-centric way. Yes, they have sinned, haven't they, Dave? That's what it means to be an American. We take the truth and apply it to somebody else. That's the American culture, individualistic. Abraham's culture was not individualistic. It was ruled by patriarchy. It was very familial. It was ruled by primogeniture. You ever heard that word, anybody? Those cultures still, uh, they still practice that. That is primogeniture. The firstborn gets everything. Do you know that? If If Abraham, fast forward, came to my life, looked at my will, he would say, Dave, you're a fool. You're dividing everything between four children. How will you ever build a kingdom if every generation you divide it between four? In fact, every generation, you're reducing your kingdom. Primogeniture said the firstborn gets everything. God's way of communicating to that generation and that culture was to say every firstborn is mine and therefore every family knows that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, pull up, if anybody's at the committee, pull up Numbers chapter three, verse 13. I'll show you where it says it clearly. Watch this. This is Numbers. For all the firstborn are... So when Abraham heard this, all he was hearing was, we have a familial debt to God and God is calling in his debt. God's righteous, he's just, he's holy, and he's right to do this. All the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel. From man to beast, every firstborn is mine. God's command to Abraham was simply the same as his command to us, all have sinned. And Abraham understood it in that way. We have a sin debt. God's simply calling in a sin debt. You have a sin debt. One day God will call in that sin debt because he is a God who demands payment for sin. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He has wrath and anger. He loathes sin. All sin is debt. All debt must be paid for. And that's what Abraham heard. But not only that, 
You know what else Abraham knew from Genesis chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16? Not only is God a God who demands payment, but he's the God of promise. He's promised me Isaac, and he said, through Isaac, all the world will be blessed. That he's gonna remove sin through this promise. That he's gonna build a, a nation, a great nation, through that nation, this promise is gonna come. You see, because God's not only a God who demands payment, he's got a promise, and he loves to love, and he loves to forgive. But there's a profound need. Somebody's gotta pay the debt. And he says, Abraham, I want you to know how much this debt costs. And so I'm gonna call in the debt because I want to teach you something profound. And so in between, God is a God who demands payment. All of us have sinned. And God is a God of promise. I want you to see the picture that God paints for Abraham. It's simple. It's beautiful. It's a lot like a, a touch and feel children's book. Anybody ever done this with kids? The touch and feel? You see, as children, we need, we need to hear the truth. We need to see the truth. But we also need to feel the truth. What God does here with Abraham is profound. It says, twitchy nose and floppy ears. This bunny's very sweet. She hops about and sniffs around for vegetables to eat. And then you let your child touch it. Oh, it's so fuzzy. It's so soft. What does this have to do with the story of Abraham? I think Dave just lost his mind. It finally happened. We wondered when it was going to. It has everything to do with it. Watch the picture, God of payment, God of promise. How do those come together? Go to verse two. Let me show you. God shows Abraham and Isaac the gospel, but he can't just proclaim the gospel. He wants them to touch it and feel it. He wants Abraham to see the promise and the provision are coming and it's greater than you could ever imagine. Watch the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ here. Verse two, he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom, whom you love and go to the land of Oh, stick with me. Did I lose you on the children's book? No. Go to the land of? Does that strike anybody? No, we just read right over it. The interesting part, if you study through the Bible, and if I had another hour and a half, I would show you how Moriah was the place where David bought the threshing floor of Araunah, the Jebusite, and said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. You go forward into the king's Moriah is where Solomon, God instructed Solomon to build the temple. If you fast forward into the New Testament, Jesus was taken outside of the temple and crucified. We would call this Calvary. From the beginning, God was saying, go, I want to give you a picture of what's coming in history of the provision. Go to Calvary and I want you to play act out what I'm going to do in the gospel so that Abraham, for you and centuries to come, people might understand my love for you. Go to verse four, watch the next picture. In verse four, he says this, so they traveled and on the third day. Can you think of anything else in church history that was important on the third, on the third day? Did anything happen? You see, God says it's going to be a journey, but I want you to know there's hope. And on the third day, they arrived, and Abraham lifted up his eyes. Go to verse 6. Watch this. Abraham took the wood that Isaac was going to be sacrificed on, and he put it on Isaac's back. And Isaac carried the wood up to 
Mount Moriah. Can you think of anybody else who carried wood on their back up to Mount Moriah to be sacrificed? Man, I wish I had time. We've got three minutes. I wish I could go seven, eight. We'll, we'll just go nine because it's such a beautiful picture. Then Abraham, in verse nine, bound his son Isaac. If you read through the Gospels, you get to Mark chapter 15, verse one, and Jesus was bound. Was it the binding that held Jesus down? Was it the cross that held Jesus down? He's the son of God. He totally walked on water, multiplied food, raised the dead. He had all power and all authority. Was it the human leather binding that held Jesus down? It was his love for his father, wasn't it? Abraham at 120 binds his son and and lays him on the altar. You see what God is doing here. You say, but Dave, this story makes me feel sick inside. It's a father having to sacrifice his son. I want you to feel sick. I want you to feel the depth of that because God is walking through and giving you a perfect picture. You see, if you don't know how much it costs God to love you, you'll never appreciate his love for you. Is this not parenting 101? Like if you give your child a profound gift and they don't know the value of a dollar, like I remember buying kids a bike, just wanting to give a good gift. And you begin to spoil your kids and they don't appreciate good gifts, do they? So they just leave the bike somewhere. Where's your bike? Left it down the street. This is why when you start twitching as a parent, (laughs) is it not? You did what? I left it. I left it down the street. Why? Oh, we can just get another one, dad. And that's where my left eye starts just twitching. And I'm like, all right, give me grace, Lord. Give me grace. You see Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. God's given you a profound gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a, it's a profound gift. And if you don't know how much it costs for God to give you that gift, you will be very careless with that gift. You will not value it. You're, you'll walk away from it. I want you to feel the depth of what Abraham felt here when he was sick in his stomach because then you might understand a fraction of what God went through to redeem, to love you. Now watch this, watch this. Watch the triumph of the lamb. I got 44 seconds. Yeah, I'm totally not gonna nail the dismount on it. (laughs) But I asked for five minutes of grace. Watch 10 and 11 and 12. This is what I believe is one of the most profound points in scripture. If you ask me, Dave, how do you know God loved you? I would take you right here to this chapter, this verse, and I would cross-reference it with Romans 8.32. Watch what happens here. If you do not know your love, you need to know this. Watch. Abraham stretched out his hand to grab, and he took the knife, and he went to slay his son, his son whom he loved deeply and he goes to slay his son but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said Abraham Abraham and he said here I am and God said do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me 
Verse 12, go ahead and leave verse 12 up there, one of the most profound verses that I've ever come across. You say, what is God doing here? Is he bipolar? Is he manic? Did he wake up one morning upset and say, I gave Abraham a gift, but I'm going to take that gift back. What he is doing, he's a perfect parent. God is a perfect, perfect parent. What he is doing here is called mirroring. Do you know as humans, we have mirror neurons. We learn from each other. We learn by watching each other. This is why in teaching, I need to see faces. I'm learning even as I'm teaching. This is why when you have a child, you take that baby and you get very quiet at home, don't you? For sleep and for other things. Partially because children are very easy to frighten. Just a, and they jump. And so you grab that baby and you begin to practice mirroring. I don't even know why we do that. Goo goo gaga. What does that mean? I don't know. And then the competition begins. Dada. Dada. Because when mama has it, it's mama. And it's the competition for the first word. Children have mirror neurons. It is how they learn. It is how they develop. It is how we grow. It's called discipleship. What is God doing here? He's mirroring with Abraham. Abraham, I love you. But you see, as children, we're naturally afraid of God, aren't we? In in verse 12, he says, now I know that you fear God. Does God want fear? Is what God after just fear? No. But up to this point in the Bible, we are humans, we are limited, and we are a hot mess. So when we come up to a God who demands payment and is holy, we have fear, and God wants to teach us love. So how is he going, how is he going to do this? With Abraham, he mirrors Abraham's about to kill his child and God says, stop, stop, stop. Don't do it. Now I know that you fear me. And Abraham, I want you to know that I love you. And Abraham, that very feeling you had when you were about to slay your son, I want you to know that I love you so much. Romans 8.32, Paul uses these very words. How do you know God loves you? Romans 8.32, he who did not, it's the same word, withhold. He who did not spare his only son, but freely offered him up for us all. Do you know God loves you? Dave, do you know God loves you? Absolutely. Dave, how do you know? Because he didn't spare his only son. You see, he He offered up his son. The very sick feelings I have, I couldn't have gone through with this with my kids. I can barely take my kids in to get a shot, yo. (laughs) And I will literally ask the doctor, hey, can you just shoot me and we'll call it good? We'll let my kid walk free. And the doctor, the nurses, no, you're not well. Like, that's not okay. I don't even like to see my kids get shots. God is mirroring with Abraham and said, that pain you're feeling, I want you to know 
I love you so much, I'm going to experience that pain so that you might know you're loved. Watch the provision, verse 13, 14. Watch where this ends. Then Abraham raised his eyes and, and looked, and you see that next word? Behold, you ever heard that before? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away this. Abraham lifted up his eyes, and this God who demands payment and the God of promise, he provided. Behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered the ram up as a substitute and sacrifice, as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. God is a God who demands payment, y'all. He's holy, righteous, and just. Somebody's gonna pay for your sin. And he's a God who's provided the promise of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. God will provide. In fact, I would say God has provided for you the lamb to take away the sin of the world. So if you ask me, Dave, how do you know God loves you? How are you convinced that God loves you? Hillside, how are you convinced? Here's how I know. You see, he told Abraham, stop. Do not bring your hand down on that lad because he knew centuries later he himself was gonna bring his hand down on his son. He said, Abraham, I love you. Stop. I don't want you to hurt your son because I... I'm going to sacrifice my son. And you say, Dave, but that story is it's just, the story of Abraham is far, far too sad. It makes me sick. It should. You see, it's not until you understand the depths of pain that God went through that you'll understand the height of joy of salvation. It's not until you understand the absolute depth of pain that God Almighty went through that you'll understand how infinitely you're loved in Jesus Christ. This is why Paul prays, Ephesians chapter three, verse 18, I pray that you might be able, maybe, to comprehend a little bit of what is the height and depth and breadth and length and width of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. He who did not spare his only son, but freely offered him up for you all. Until you know that, you won't understand that you're safe. You won't understand that you're safe. You won't be able to say along with Paul in Romans 8, 38 and 39, I know I'm loved and now I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. God didn't spare his only son. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, you're safe in Jesus Christ. You have been loved with a never stopping, never giving up, never ending, always and forever, infinite kind of love. And loved people love people. If God so loved us, friends, how ought we to love one another? That's what the Apostle John would say. I love how you love, Hillside. Continue to, to love deeply, knowing you've been loved deeply in Christ Jesus. Let's pray and let's sing to him now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much 
for your incredible love given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. We could never repay it. And I think that's the point. You simply love to love, expecting nothing in return. And so I pray that that our songs of gratitude, the fruit of our lips, which is just singing out to you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the lamb, your son that was slain. I pray as this truth permeates our minds and our hearts and our souls, that it would change how we walk, knowing that we are loved perfectly. Father, would you help us love profoundly because there is a love deficit in this world. So Father, would you do that work in us to grow us in what it means to love one another fervently from the heart as we have been loved. And as you do, I pray that more people would come and place their faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.